Let's take our Bibles. You got your Bibles today? We're going to finish a series called Tomb Raider. And so I want you to take your Bible, your Bible app, and I want you to hold on to it. Remember years ago when I was in college at Liberty University, I had just gotten born again. Got born again at a Christian school. How about that, huh? Thought I was saved when I went in there. I wasn't. And so I got born again at Liberty my freshman year, truly converted. And so a friend of mine gave me his Bible, and it was about the size of this. It was a King James Version. It was red. I'll never forget it. And so Keith said to me, Chris, I want you to have my Bible. This is after I made that confession of Jesus in a, in a crusade. And the evangelist came by and gave the gospel, and I got saved. And so he said, here, have my Bible. And so that, that little red Bible meant so much to me. And I would hold on to it at night. And I had three other college roommates that were in the same room. There's four to a room at Liberty at the time. And so I, would, I didn't care. I was just so thankful for the word of God. And, and I held on to it. Some guy slept with teddy bears. I slept with the Bible, amen? And so that's what I did. I held on to it. And I was like, God, I love your word. I love your word. So let's take that Bible app. You can hold on to that or your Bible and hold it up. Hold it up. God, we thank you for your word. It is precious to us. It is the food that we need for our soul. It gives us the light that we need to be able to move forward in our life. And so, God, we pray that you would help us to understand this word, help us to read it daily, help us above everything else to live by this. And so, God, you gave us your precious word. It's anointed, it's, it's inspired, it's without error, it's completely believable. And so, Lord, we pray that you would just bring a revival to Harvest Ready in the area of your word inside of our lives on a regular basis. And God, as years ago, I held on to it. Help me to still hold on to it. Help us as a church to hold on to it and not go to the right or to the left, but right here to your, your word. We pray, Holy Spirit, because you wrote what we're going to look at in John chapter 11. We pray, Holy Spirit, fill us to overflowing right now and give us eyes to see and ears to hear. We want to know. We want to know, and we want to see, and we want to live. In Jesus' mighty name, God's people say, Amen. Are you doing okay today? Did anybody have a real rough week? Raise your hand if you had a rough, rough week. Honestly, you had a tough week. Anybody tired here? Anybody have allergies? Raise your hand. Anybody want to be delivered from allergies right now? Huh? Okay, take your Zyrtec, all right? I believe in healing. I believe in healing, but take the pill too. And so I took mine before uh, this service. And so I'm feeling a, a little bit better, but it does hold me back. And I just want you to pray for me because I want to give this last message in this series called Tomb Raider with everything that I have. Of course, that means the Holy Spirit leading the way. But I'm going to do my best. Would you do your best to listen? We're all those people that are tired with allergies. You lift up your hands. That's about 90% of everybody in here. So uh, you might be on one of those Zyrtex or whatever that is the, the drowsy one. I pray that you don't take that pill before church, and then you'll be like uh, getting some real fresh sleep right now. Don't want that. I want you to listen real close. So work hard at listening to the Word of God. The Word of God is, it is the sword of the Spirit. It is. And so whenever you're in a storm, or like we sung about, or in a battle, you're going to need the Word of God. And so there's a lot of Christians who aren't picking up their swords nowadays for some reason. And so uh, you're going to need that sword. And so some of your lives are going to come collapsing down this coming year. And something's going to happen. By the time you're 40 years old, you're going to have a life-altering trauma statistics show. And that happened to my wife and I as soon as I hit 40, actually. And so it was, it was the word of God. It was the spirit of the living God. It was the sovereignty of the Lord. You're going to need all of that 
this coming year for some of you. So you might as well grab onto that word now. You might as well pick it up right now every single day of the week and start preparing because it's coming. And you're going to need to be ready for that. Don't keep the Bible off to the side. Don't keep your prayer life to a minimal. Francis Chan, I completely believe in what, he, what Don was talking about. Christians are giving minimal. They're not giving maximum. We need to give the max. Amen? I'm a little bit worried about that. Amen? Okay, that's a little concerning. This is the third message in a series that I've titled Tomb Raider. John chapter 11, if you would take your Bible, go John 11, 38 down to verse 44. This is the last section of scripture I want to look at. It's a very important scripture. It's a very powerful moment in the life of Jesus, the Tomb Raider, and also in the life of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, obviously Lazarus, because he's coming back from the dead. Now, this is fantastic. I know you've seen the Avengers, right? Anybody see the Avengers? Anybody spend way too much money for the Avengers? Oh, it's never too much money for the Avengers. I love those guys. And so, but this is way beyond the Avengers. And I'm going to go see it. I'm going to have a good time watching it. But this is, this is way beyond anything you might have seen in Hollywood. What's happening inside of Lazarus's body and in his soul and everything that we're going to look at in this section of Scripture is really quite phenomenal. And so I want you to go to John 11, 38 to 44. And if you're there, give me a hearty amen from everybody in the church. Come on. I love it. So the first message was timing is everything. Timing is everything. Do you remember some of that message? I know that most people will only remember, I think it's about 10% of what they hear. Did you know that? It's about 50% of what you see. Uh, and then what you see, hear, and do, it ramps up to about 80 to 90%. So I'm not expecting anybody really uh, to remember some of that. It was quite a while ago. But let me just say this. Timing is everything. God's timing is perfect timing. What he allows in our life may seem like he is off on timing, but he really isn't. And so we can say it like this, that there's timing is everything, but God and his work in our life, we can say it timing in everything. And so whatever you might be going through right now, that's God's timing. It's God's timing. He is over that. He is in that. He's around that. And he's going to work through that. Timing and everything. Number two, and we saw this last Lord's Day, if you're in church with us, tenderness and example. Jesus was the tender, he is the tender Savior. He is the one approaching Mary and Martha, and just super tender. You saw the tenderness in his life and heart when he was weeping. He was weeping because of the sin's effects on Mary and Martha, and obviously Lazarus, but he's also weeping for many other reasons, which we'll look at today. So today's title of the message is, does anybody know? Have you gotten your hand out? Triumph in Exiting. We've got to look at the triumph. We were singing songs about triumph and victory. We're going to look at triumph in exiting, exiting our tombs in triumph. Now, when I say tombs, what am I referring to? I'm referring to those things in our life that the enemy wants to keep us locked in. It could be bitterness. It could be revenge. It could be doubt. It could be faithlessness. It could be anxiety and fears that grip you. It could be some kind of a relationship thing. It could be an addiction. We're talking about a lot of different kinds of tombs that we live among. And Jesus wants us to come out of those tombs. And so today, we're going to pray that God helps some people to exit the tombs and find triumph. Now, when you think of triumph, I'm going to show you some pictures here. Let's show the first picture. When you think of triumph, what what comes to mind? Let's look at the first picture here. What do we have? Does anybody know who that is? Come on, come on, come on. That's Nick Foles. Nick Foles wrote a book. Actually, it's almost the same picture here. But obviously, the triumph, he's holding up the trophy. This is a great book, finished it some time ago when he first wrote it. Uh, he is obviously 
experiencing the win, experiencing it with his team, the Philadelphia Eagles. But if you read the book that Nick Foles wrote, you'll see that his triumph is much greater than the trophy that he's lifting up in this picture. You'll find that his triumph, he will confess, is Jesus Christ, him crucified, and the power of the Spirit of God coming down and living with inside of him. That's the triumph. How about this picture here when you think of triumph? How about maybe a, a, a victory in war? There was great triumph for many of those people back in those days. And how about one more? Here's one. How about beating cancer? I would say that is a good illustration of, of triumph, right? And so there's some people that, that beat. All right, now let's talk about exiting. When we think of exiting, leaving a place, uh, maybe in a hurry, what comes to your mind? Here's a picture here. How about this? Uh, how many people would be leaving this building in a hurry, right? You'll be exiting out of there. You're saying, but if it was the last episode of Downton Abbey, and I, I don't know, I really think, no, you wouldn't. No, so I don't care. Don't even like that show. I know I should have said that right then because people love that show around here. I just can't get into it. Sorry. And so if that was my house on fire in Downton, I would definitely be out of that house. Wouldn't care about the last episode of the last season of Downton Abbey. So I know you're looking at me in a negative way, right? Here's another one. How about this one? Uh, anybody ever been in that situation, right? And you're, in, and you're like, I just want to exit out of here. This is not a, a happy place for me right now. It's just a real struggle for me. There is a whole lot going on in some of those public bathrooms, and so I just want to get out of there. Or how about this last picture here you're going to see? I don't know if this is for everybody, but uh, you'll notice the stadium there full of uh, many, many people, a lot of cars. How many people about the, if you're at a baseball game, the Phillies game would end up leaving if, about the eighth inning, maybe the eighth inning, you start getting out of there, right? Because you don't want to deal with the, the traffic and getting stuck in hours of traffic, and so you exit out of there, and, and you don't want to deal with that. We're going to talk about there's triumph in the exiting of the tomb that we're experiencing. You're going to see that in the life of Lazarus. You're going to see that as experienced by Mary and Martha. And there's a certain group of people that are watching that are going to believe, and then there's a certain group of people that aren't going to believe, and they're the ones that are going to go to the religious people, and it's eventually going to lead to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. There's two groups of people in the Christian church. There are these people who are like Mary and Martha and Lazarus and some that believed, and then you got this other group that is in the Christian church. They're in Christian buildings, and, and there's still those kinds of people who really don't believe, and they're the ones that aren't experiencing the, the triumph in exiting. It's so sad because uh, as we look at that at the end of this message, you're going to see a group of people that you're thinking, why would they do that? What happened? So let's get into the, the text of Scripture, verses 38 and 39. Here's point number one. I'm going to show you three out of the text. The conditions of your tomb will not make any difference. Now, now try to follow me through this because this is so important. If you're in the text, verse 38 and 39, you'll see, if we back up to verse 37, Jesus said, or he didn't say, the people that were there said this, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also kept this man from dying? I'm in verse 37. As he moves into verse 38, you'll see a transition, then Jesus. So you have this, this is the group. This is the the, the people. The people that are there that are saying these things could not has he that opened the eyes of the blind. And, and really what's going on here is a, a, there's a challenge going on. This is Jesus hearing what they're saying, and then he moves. You know, there, there's something in the supernatural here. This isn't just words on paper. This is beyond the natural eye. This is in the supernatural eye. This is in the providence of God. This is a group of people that he's looking at, and he's, he's knowing that they're faithless. 
and he wants to bring them to greater faith. And so they're saying these things. What about, what about this time where he healed the man that was born blind, or that was blind, and, and now he, he could have healed Lazarus before he died, and he didn't. And so verse 38 says, then Jesus. These are Jesus moments in our life. I really believe that, that if you could have your eyes peeled back, your vision peeled back so you could see into the supernatural more clearly, you would see that there would be these Jesus moments in our life. Jesus is referred to as the great intercessor. So he is intercessing, and the Holy Spirit is doing that too with groanings too deep for words in the area of prayer. And so there's these Jesus moments. You're walking through life, and you can't really see it, but in the supernatural, and as Jesus the mediator, you have these, then Jesus did something. And he moves to the Father, and, and something happens in the supernatural. Wouldn't it be so cool to be able to see those things now? It's hard to see those now. I really believe that there are some Christians where their vision is peeled back, and they can see things that re, you know, maybe regular Christians can't. I've read about these Christians through history, where these people will go to great lengths to walk with Jesus in ways that many other Christians will not go, uh, because it's very scary to go to those places. But I, I want to encourage you and as a church that we would, we would go as far with Jesus Christ as we possibly can on earth. Would you want to try to do that? Well, if that's the case, then you're going you're gonna to have to go to scary places. You're going to have to move out, out of your comfort zone and beyond what you're familiar with, and that's what God is going to call you to do. But the question is, will you receive it? Will you do it? A lot of Christians don't. That's the group here, and we'll talk a little bit more about them. They're called the some of them. If you notice the text, the some of them. I refer to this maybe as pragmatic Christianity or maybe conditional Christianity. So John 9 is where this miracle that they're referring to, Jesus, you remember, the man was blind, and he took some mud, and he put spit in, and he mixed it. He put the, the mud on the eyes of the man, and he went to the pool of Siloam, and he was healed. So they're looking back to this moment where Jesus healed this man, and now they're thinking, well, Lazarus died. You know? And so what's really going on inside of them? They're thinking, Jesus, you could heal this man that was born blind. You could have healed Lazarus, but they have no thought of, could he raise him from the dead? Do you see where their faith is at? This is where God is bringing all of us. Some of you at the very beginning, maybe not even a Christian yet, and you're going to start today, and that's what we pray for, that you would repent and believe in Christ. But then some of you are, are still immature. Some of you are new to the faith. Some of you have been in the faith for a while, but you're still immature, as Paul said in Corinthians. And God is wanting to bring your faith from where it is to where he really wants it to be. And that's the kind of people that were in this story. So they're going back to this miracle that Jesus did and saying, well, you healed the blind man. How come he didn't heal Lazarus? And so this is what I call, again, conditions. We're, we're putting conditions on God. But I want to flip that because it's more important to see it from the other angle. There is no conditions that are too difficult for God. Now, you have to hold on to that because sometimes our life is so difficult and so hard and so painful that you're going to think that the conditions that you're experiencing or have experienced are beyond the touch of God. And that's what they're struggling with. And so there is no condition that is beyond God. So when you think about your own world and what you've experienced, let me just ask you some questions. I want you to try to answer these to yourself. So he healed a blind man, but what about your addiction? Now watch this because I want you to put yourself in the text. This is what we do when we try to live the word of God. And so you're in this sum of them. Everybody's in the sum of them before Lazarus is raised because they haven't come to faith, not even Mary and Martha. I'm not talking saving faith. I'm talking about greater faith. And so th here's this group of people getting ready to watch the miracle. 
And so I want you to put yourself into the text. And, and so they thought blind man could be healed, but he couldn't heal Lazarus. And so some of you are thinking, yeah, Jesus can heal, and he's done something over here in my life, but he really can't do this addiction over here. Or, or there's a situation that is really hard in my family, or my wayward son, or my wayward daughter. Yeah, Jesus can do this, and he has done this over here, but for some reason I can't get to the place where he can do this over there. See, there is no condition that is too great for the sovereign, loving, powerful God that we live and serve. Amen? No condition. You think that the condition is greater than what God can do, but that's a lie of the enemy. Don't listen to that lie. I love what's happening in the text here. It goes on to say in verse 38 that Jesus was deeply moved. Notice it. He was deeply moved. We already saw him weeping in the, the message last Lord's Day, but here he's, there's this deep groaning inside of him again. And of course, it's because of the suffering of his friend Lazarus and his, family, or his friends uh, Mary and Martha and, and many of the people that were standing there. He hates the effects that sin had done, has done. He hates the, the fall of man. He hates what the devil was doing to deceive and create doubt in all of these people in the crowd that day. I think also that he's deeply moved because they're not where he wants them to be. Like, like, if I'm not trusting the Lord in my moment, I think the Lord gets deeply moved by that. Like, Chris, come on. You know, and he's tender. He's like, Chris, you know I've showed up in your life. You know I've done great things. I want to do something here. And he gets moved by that, if I'm not exhibiting that faith. And so, notice the text. He comes to the tomb. Oh, this is getting good. This is getting good. I, I pray that the allergy pill that you, that you took before church is not going to have its full effect. Because I don't want you to miss this. So lean up, you know, sit up, give the guy on the left of you a knock on the nugget if he's falling asleep, do whatever you have to do. Watch this. He comes to the tomb. Now, this is amazing because what's building here is tremendous drama. And so he's walking to the tomb. Of course, Mary and Martha are there, and they're trying to figure out, okay, why does he want to go to the tomb? Is he going to cry? You know, is he missing Lazarus and all of that? You've got to remember, too, back in verse 23, we looked at in another message, the, the most of the crowd didn't hear Jesus say, your brother will rise again. So what are they thinking? Jesus moves to the tomb, and he's getting close to the entrance of it. And what would you be thinking if you were in that crowd? The Bible says that a stone lay against it, and Jesus said, what did he say to them? What's he say? Take away the stone. Now, come on. If you're there, you're not thinking Jesus is going to do anything beyond. He, see, we look in hindsight. We know that he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead, but they weren't thinking that. They weren't, they weren't able to think out into the future there because their faith wasn't supernatural in that sense. We're looking back. And so here they are, and Jesus says, uh, take away the stone. You just don't do that in the Jewish mind. You don't do that. You don't remove stones of tombs. And so it's shocking to them that Jesus would say that. It truly is stunning to the crowd. Let's, let's move the stone away. That's like, that's like me going to a cemetery or... or you going to a cemetery, we're walking through the cemetery, and all of a sudden, I say to you, remove the lid. You know, have you ever seen those lids that are on top, and you ever wondered what's inside there and what it looked like? Just me, huh? All right, so it's kind of creepy, but I mean, I go through cemeteries. I've been to a lot of cemeteries. There's those little tombs, and, and one of them was busted. I was in Princeton not long ago doing a film for a video for an upcoming series, and I'm, I'm wanting to go over there and look inside there. It's just like, what's it look like, you know? And is there bones and a skull and stuff? And you, would, you wouldn't think, you would think I was just like completely crazy if I was walking through there and said, remove the lid. 
you know, open the door. This is what they're thinking. They're like, what's he going to do? We don't take lids off of tombs. And so why are stones in front of tombs? Well, here's some of the reasons why. Obviously, robbers. And that's probably some of the things that you see. There are people that go into some of these cemeteries and, and they break into some of these tombs and try to steal whatever's on the body. And so maybe robber, uh, you know, they're, they're looking out for that. But here's, here's the primary reason. Martha says it. Watch this in the text. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there is an odor, for he has been dead. How many days? Four days, right? So there, there's this stench. There's this the stink that is in there. So they keep the stone on to keep the stink in. That's why they're keeping that stone there. They don't want to move that away. Martha and Mary know that if you move that stone away, there's going to be an incredible, incredible odor. Let me see if I can illustrate this, if you can bring the picture up. Here's a picture of, um, that is Jeff Brown when he gets up in the morning. He's having a bad day. And so you thought you had like skin problems, right? And so Lazarus looks worse than that guy. Think about that. He looks worse than him. Let me go through some of the physiological changes that are going on inside of his body as he's laying there for four days. His heart has stopped. The cells are deprived of oxygen. They begin to die. Blood drains and pools to the lower parts of the body. Muscles stiffen, which is called rigor mortis. By the 24th hour, all heat in the body is completely gone, and the muscles then loosen. Bacteria starts to feed on the dead cells. Tissue starts to change in look and in smell. Gases are emitted like methane and other gases uh, out of the rotting flesh. And then green liquid oozes out of all the openings of the dead body. This is what's going on inside of Lazarus's body as he's in that tomb for four days. I want you to think about the worst smell that you have ever smelled. Think about that. Put it in your mind. Put it in mind. If you got it in your mind right now, do you actually smell it because you're thinking about it? Right? No? The worst smell you can think of. So preparing for this message, I knew I'd be doing this about a month out. And so what I did is that uh, I wore a pair of socks every day, the same pair of socks every day for a month, just to illustrate this. And so I have them here with me, actually. And so I want to see if there would be a, a volunteer who would come up here. So a whole month... No volunteers, okay. We'll move on. So let me just try to help you with the thought that you had, and so this is going to help with everybody, right? Isn't that wonderful? And so you go from the worst smell that you could possibly smell. This is Lazarus's body in a decomposed state. There's no eyeballs. The tissues are rotting. Obviously, the internal organs are completely non-functioning. His body is rotting. It is dead. He is dead. And Jesus needed to make sure it was four days. Why is he doing this? Because the miracle that's going to happen where he breathes life into a dead body, only God can do. That's important to understand because those around don't really believe that he's God. And so when he ri raises Lazarus from the dead, he is declaring that I am God in human form. And then this miracle would lead to his crucifixion because the religious leaders couldn't tolerate that. This is a huge miracle. 
So here's Lazarus. He's laying in the tomb for four days. It's a bad condition. Would you agree? It's a bad, bad condition. And the tomb raider steps up to the tomb and he asks them to take away the stone. I love this. So the condition that Lazarus is in, I'm going to ask you a question. Is the condition that Lazarus is in, in that tomb, worse than what you have ever experienced in your life? Yes or no? For sure. For sure. And when Jesus goes to the tomb as the tomb raider, and he's going to do a miracle, can he do the miracle in your life that you really need to have happen? Yes or no? Yes. Number two, so the condition is something we need to think about. Now, here's the calling. The calling of your tomb raider will make all the difference in verses 40 to 43. So here's Martha. She's only seen dimly, like in a darkened room or early morning, uh, the sun coming up. You just can't quite see as clearly as you can when the sun is fully up. This is a dim view of who, who Jesus, not dim in the sense, negative sense, but dim in the sense of eyes of faith. So that's where these people are at. And so what Jesus says to her is that, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Do you see that in the text? And so what's happening here is a divine calling. God is calling, Jesus is calling these people to greater faith. We're talking about the manifest presence of the Lord. But let me go through some verses with you. If you look at Romans 1 on the screen, You'll see the call in salvation, including you. This is Paul writing in the Roman uh, epistle, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. So each of us are called to be a Christian. That's salvation. That's conversion. That's when you're born again. There is a calling, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's another one talking about the calling in 830. And those whom he predestined, he also did what? He called us. You've gotten a call, and those whom he has called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. Let's keep going. Romans 9, 24, even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. There's many different kinds of call. I just want to emphasize this just briefly. Ephesians 4, 1, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. So you're called in salvation. You're called all along the way to various different kinds of callings. I got the call. My wife got the call to come to Reading. I was talking to a friend of mine, and I said to him, listen, if you consider coming to Reading, you need to know that you need to be called. Nobody comes to Reading unless they're called. That's what I said. you got to know the calling. Do you know the calling of salvation? But do you know the calling maybe to harvest Reading? You're saying, well, I just want to try a bunch of different churches out like a consumer. I wouldn't encourage that whatsoever. No, I'd take it to the Lord. Holy Spirit, fill me. Show me the way. Do you want me to harvest Reading or do you not want me to harvest Reading? It's all about calling because you'll never make it if you don't know the calling for salvation and then various callings as we're moving through sanctification. This is very important. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you, if you have a phone, do you have your phone? This is about the only time I'll use a phone inside of a service. And so uh, if you want to put it on, Take it off ring or silence, off silence. I'm going to call somebody in the church right now. and uh, You don't know who I'm going to call. And so I want you to, uh, if you have your phone, hopefully the one I call will actually have their phone. Are you ready?
Who's getting the calling? Who's getting the calling? Anybody? Is your phone making a noise? Is it vibrating? Anybody at all? Oh, no, they forgot their phone. I don't have my phone. Is that what you're thinking? Nobody, right? Okay, you just missed the calling. You just missed it. Okay. Don't miss the calling. I'll try this one more time. Who? Who, Who's getting the calling? Andy Cutting. Andy Cutting. Come on up here, brother. Because you're going to win something. You won something. I got something for you, brother. Enjoy this. Just want to make it worth your while. There you go. Enjoy. Yes, you received the calling, man, and you answered the calling. Now, what happens in the Christian life is that God is calling, but are we answering the call? Fortunately for Andy, he answered the call. Uh, does anybody want to know who the first person was? Seth, man. Seth. It was you, man. And so. <laughs> You, you missed out on the call. You didn't receive the call and all the benefits of the call. And so I want you to understand something about the call of God. This is much greater, much greater we're talking about in the supernatural and the spiritual. When God said to Seth or he said to Andy Cutting or he said to myself or he said to Joanna or he said to Amy, I'm calling you to myself and I want you to be born again. Then you became born again because you answered the call like Andy answered the call. You received it. But the question now in your sanctification, are you going to receive all these other calls that God has given? Not the salvation. That's already done. But is he gonna, are you going to receive the call of a greater faith? Is he, are you going to receive the call of a person living in your tombs, whatever they may be, and he's going to say, I want you to come out of there. Are you going to receive that call? If you don't, you're going to miss really what God has for you. I love these texts, so they took away the stone. Look at verse 42. If you'll take your eyes to verse 42. Uh, I want to read these as you read them in your own Bible. Uh, I knew that you always hear me. This is Jesus lifting up his voice to the Father, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Anybody ever seen Jesus of Nazareth or maybe some of the other ones? This is a great, great, great scene where Jesus comes up to the tomb, and then he, with a loud voice, he cries out. Let me ask you a question. Why a loud voice? Does anybody know? Was it because Lazarus really had hard hearing? <laughs> he didn't have hard hearing. He had no hearing. So it had nothing to do with Lazarus hearing Jesus. It's not like Jesus was like, Lazarus, do you hear me? Come out. It wasn't that way at all. Why do you think it was a loud voice? Does anybody know? Yeah, for, for those around could hear, show the power, somebody said. Any other thoughts? There's really no wrong answers. Uh, I just It's interesting to look at this. Here's what I think, and I, I'm not, I don't know if I could prove this uh, with a scripture cross-reference or anything, but I really think that it's for emphasis. I really think it's for emphasis. I really think that Jesus is going in, into a place that we have no idea what it's like to cross into that. And so he, he's on a dimension and on a realm that we are not going to be able to relate to. And so he's standing in front of a tomb with a dead man who's been dead, for four days, and now I think for emphasis, and he's raising up his voice, and somewhere, it's not, it's partially for the people listening, but I think partially it's going into the, into the unseen, and he's going inside of wherever that place is where death reigns, where the devil has done its, 
his awful deeds to Lazarus and his body. And he's going into that and he's like, Lazarus, come out, you know. And so it's hard to even do it justice, you know, when we actually read the black ink on the paper. And so he's crying out here and and he's crying out with this loud, passionate cry to this man who had been dead for four days. This is creative power. This is Genesis 1. Genesis 1. We read Genesis 1 in the Father, what? He says that the Lord spoke things into existence. And we read that, but we're really not reading it to the place where we're fully grasping what was happening when God spoke things into existence. Well, Jesus is doing that now. He's going in here and he's speaking things into existence. This is phenomenal. This is, this is creative power that is, is coming out of his mouth. And so Lazarus is going to respond. I want you to look at verse 25, if you would take your eyes back to verse 25, because he's having this conversation with, I think it was Martha. Is it Martha in verse 25? Let me look real quick. I think it's Martha. Verse 25, Jesus said to her, yeah, that's Martha, right? Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the what? What's it say there? Life. Who brings life? God. Who speaks and life emerges? God. So when, when God spoke life into your soul, do you think you brought yourself back to life? Do you think, well, it was just in my free will. It was in your free will. It was God speaking life into your dead soul, and you came out. Salvation. That's what it's all about. Now he's doing that, not for salvation for Lazarus, because he's already, I believe, a believer. I believe that he's speaking now life into his, his bones and his tissue and all of the things that Lazarus was struggling with. But when he was talking to Martha, she needed to know that Jesus is life. He is life. You don't get life from yourself. Nobody gets life from inside of ourself. Our life is dependent on outside sources, obviously being God. But Jesus is not dependent on life outside of himself. He is life. He is life. And I pray that you hold on to that because when you're going through what you're going through and you're in your tomb and you need to come out of the tomb, you need to know that Jesus said, I am the resurrection. You believe that because it's Easter and we're supposed to believe that. But do you believe that he is life? Is he life to you? You'll understand what I'm talking about when you feel like you're dying when you feel like your life is so, so far gone and it's black and it's difficult and painful and you can't see the next step and you think that you're dying, which I've been there, then Jesus becomes to you life. That's different than vacation Bible school, believing in Jesus, and then you go the rest of your life just believing in Jesus and you're holding on to that He wants them, in this text, to get to the place where Martha goes, you know what, you are my life. I can't exist without you. It's phenomenal. I love what's going on here. So Lazarus, his body, what's happening to his body? Wouldn't it be cool to be inside that tomb, except for the stink? We wouldn't want that, but you're, you're watching this thing happen with your natural eye. Wouldn't it have been cool? I mean, what happened when Jesus called into the the dead person, the dead tissue, the dead body, and brought life out? Did he just kind of pop up? 
What was going on there? I want you to think about this for a moment because you can, I just want you to visualize, if you can, the cells in his body start to, the heart pumps. Where did the blood come from? The blood is all, it starts to form blood and cells and, and veins start to move again and they start to form around his, his limbs and his, his bones start to get stronger again and his eye sockets that are empty, all of a sudden eyeballs start to form with corneas and nerves inside of his sockets. I mean, think about what's going on here. In a split second, Lazarus is coming back. It's great. It's great. What is happening inside of that dead body is life is coming back. Sometimes we just think, oh, there he is. He's wrapped in toilet paper. I've seen it in a movie. There he is standing there. It's so much more than that. Hair starts to come on his arms again and on his legs again. and Hair come on out of his head. There was no hair. Tongue, his tongue wasn't there. A new tongue. Fingernails start to show up on his fingers again. Are you with me? What's going on here is supernatural. And what is happening there where God speaks life into a dead person, he can speak life into your situation. But do you believe? There's a calling here. I believe Lazarus came out, and listen, listen close. Listen, it was a perfect and complete healing. It wasn't partial. It's not like he came out and he doesn't have an arm. He only has one arm. He's like, whoa, I got one arm from now on, you know? He's not thinking that. He's like, he got two arms, two legs, two eyes. Everything's working perfectly, probably better than before. Remember, sin had fallen, and Lazarus was, you know, getting up there in age and, you know, aches and pains. He has a brand new body. Everything is there. It's a calling, and he responded to the call. Let's go to number three, and finally, let's bring it home. The changes into your tomb raider will be a difference maker. Now, I, I worded it that way for various reasons, and so I want you to look at verse 44. Notice verse 44. The man who had died came out. His hands and his feet were bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Why didn't Jesus just do that? He just put new eyes in the guy's eye sockets. He just put like a new heart in his chest, you know, and new lungs that were breathing in and out. Why, did, why does he want them to untie him? Why did he just say, all right, those things fell off him, the bound, you know, he's not bound anymore. The linen cloth is off his head. He comes walking, well, I don't know how he did it. He just comes like stumbling out. And Jesus asked them to unbind him and let him go. Maybe they wanted him, them to be part of this somehow. Maybe he wanted them to be really up close to when they unwrapped him. Can you imagine being related to Lazarus, Mary and Martha, you're unwrapping his head, and then all of a sudden you see his eyes, his new eyes. That would have been awesome. Now let's transition as we bring it to a close, and, and this is going to get really heavy. So verse 45, notice, many of the Jews, therefore, who had come, with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Are you in that group? And this is where Jesus was wanting to bring Mary, Martha, and, and some of the others. But there's more to it than this. There, the, the tomb raider here is, is wanting so much more from Mary and Martha and even Lazarus, and he's wanting Christ's likeness. He's wanting us to be like him. He's wanting us to follow him and to, to emulate him and to resemble him. Now, Lazarus came out, 
the Tomb Raiders triumphing. Lazarus is triumphing. You have Mary and Martha that are in this triumph of the exit of their brother out of the tomb. What do you think Lazarus is feeling? What would you be feeling if you came out of there? Hey, thanks, Jesus. No, you'd probably be in awe. Like, I can't even speak. It's like, what just happened to me? Do you know where I was? It, it just, I mean, he's probably thankful. He's probably has a stronger, I'm sure, a stronger belief in, you know, in Jesus. And so look over in chapter 12 real quick, verses 1 and 2, six days before the Passover. Now remember, this miracle happens, and now Passion Week is around the corner when Jesus would eventually be crucified. And so six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Now, come on, come on, give me something on that. That is unbelievable. Here's Lazarus, who's just been raised from the dead. Now he's chilling with Jesus around the table, having dinner. That's amazing to me. Lazarus was different, Mary was different, Martha was different, and many of the group, because some of them have become believers. Let me show you a little phrase on the screen here, if you could throw that up. Growth equals change. Growth equals change. How many people would say you don't like change too much, right? Everybody doesn't like change to varying degrees. You left me up here by myself. Did you see that? Did you see that all by myself there? And so, yeah, a lot of, almost all of us. And so, some of Chan's writings, as Don's going to find out, uh, and some of the other books, if he hasn't read, will say something like this. If you're not changing and you're not growing, you're not a Christian. Chan is, like, fierce. And I kind of land in that group. I think true believers want to keep changing. They want to keep growing. Would you agree with that? And so if you're sitting here and you haven't changed much in the last year, 5, 10, 20 years, you're probably not a Christian. You, you weren't really born again. You thought you were back when you were a kid or maybe a teenager or young adult or something. But true believers are the ones who are being sanctified on a regular and consistent basis. Does that mean that we're perfect? No. Does that mean that we don't trip and fall? No. But you keep getting back up again. You keep, get, you keep going. You just keep going. You don't go the opposite direction. You don't become an agnostic. Oh, I was a Christian, but now I'm an agnostic. No, you were never a Christian. Well, I was a Christian, but now I'm an atheist. No, you were never a Christian. It doesn't happen that way. Well, I went through this real bad time. You know, it was really hard. I turned to the Lord. And the Lord didn't answer me. He didn't do what I asked him to do. Now I'm not going to believe in him. No, you weren't a Christian. Growth equals change. Are you changing? Many people at Harvest Reading are changing. Now watch this, verse 45, to go back to 45 to 53. And many of the Jews, therefore, I'm going to close with this, who had come with Mary, had seen what he did, believed in him. That's awesome, many. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. There, were, there were many, verse 45 begins with, but some of them, watch this, some of them went to the Pharisees and told them that Je what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, what are, are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Wow, don't be in that group. What happened to them? They weren't believers. They were the lost, the unsaved. Did they ever get saved? I don't know. Maybe some of them did. I really think that the Christian church is filled with people in this category. Filled. Lots of them. Scary. Very scary. Here, so here's Jesus. He's standing at the tomb, maybe the tomb of the unforgiveness that you're battling with because you've been hurt so bad. Maybe the brokenness or the bitterness that you've experienced. Maybe the anger issues that you're struggling with. 
Maybe it's hopelessness or doubt or addictions of one sort or another. Jesus, the tomb raider, is there, and he's, he's saying, move the stone away. I'm here. I'm going to bring you out of this tomb that you've been in. I'm going to ask that you be unbound. That's what Jesus is going to say. Unbind this man. Unbind this woman who's been in the tomb. Maybe the tomb of guilt and shame. Maybe somebody has sinned against you, and you're carrying this self-condemnation, and it's a tomb in your life. The tomb raider is here. It's time. It's time. He's tender. He's speaking into your life right now, and he's saying, I want you to come out. It doesn't matter the condition that you were in. It doesn't matter the condition that you were, you were facing. It doesn't matter the condition that you're facing even now. I am greater than that. I am stronger than that. I can deliver you from that. It doesn't matter how long the condition has been going on. The Tomb Raider is here. He's speaking to you. He's saying to you. He's calling you, and the calling is clear. Will you receive the call? Like Andy received it, and he received the prize. There's so much more than a, a magnet and a cup. There's peace and joy and there's healing and there's growth and there's all these wonderful things that the Tomb Raider wants for you. So here he is, the Tomb Raider. And I ask you to stand to your feet. Stand to your feet. I'm not going to ask for any hands raised or, or anything like that. A lot of churches traditionally do like an altar call. Or this, this context here is a little hard for that kind of stuff. And, but I'm going to ask you to really, really open yourself up, like Don said at the very beginning. What is the tomb that you've been trapped in? The, t- the tomb of despair. What is the tomb? Don't raise your hand. I'm going to pray for you. We're going to pray through this. I want you to pray with me. And we're going to pray together. We're going to pray and believe that our God is a God who causes us to overcome. Our God is a God who causes us to triumph in the exit. Timing and everything. God, your timing is perfect. It's perfect, Lord. Time is in your hands. It's not in our hands. You're a tender God. You have spoken. You're, you're coming up close to some people in the house here. And you want to speak into their life. You're going to call them to a place that is going to require them to respond and to maybe step out in faith or maybe take a risk or to lay something behind and to move forward. And it's going to be very terrifying for some people in this room. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's a family situation. And so, God, pray with me just silently to yourself. I'm going to pray out loud. God, we pray in Jesus' mighty name. You're the tomb raider, Jesus. You're the one that went up to the tomb and said, to those standing that day, take away the stone. And I really believe that you're asking for us, intercessing, intercessory prayer for people in this room, and, and you're saying to us, take away the stone, and we're going to do that by prayer. So that's our part, church. We pray right now, pray with me, that people would experience the triumph and the exit out of their tombs, whatever they may be. Ask the Lord right now for that person sitting near you, behind you, in front of you. God, is there a tomb that they've been battling with? And Lord God, would you please help them to hear the call? The call is now. And Jesus, you're the one that spoke life into Lazarus's dead body where eyeballs started to form and nerves and veins and hairs on his arm and, and, and all the things, the heart beating and the blood flowing and, and the kidneys working and the liver working again. New intestines, it, it's just awesome. Speak, Lord. We pray that you would speak even now. 
Move away distractions, Lord. Move away any kind of an obstacle the enemy is throwing right now. Open up eyes and ears to hear the word of the Lord, to hear your voice speaking to them. God, you have caused us to have victory in Christ, in salvation. And now in sanctification, there are many maybe in this room that are battling with some of these things that we've looked at. So, oh God, would you just do you the work that only you could do? Call them out. Call them out. Unbind them. You are God. You are God. And you're the one that helps us, God. You're the one that rescues us and delivers us. You're the one that heals us. You are Jehovah Rophi, the God who heals. With every head bowed and every eye closed, nobody's going to see this. This is just between you and God. I'm not even looking. My eyes are closed. So it's not between anybody other than you and God. I want you to raise your hand nice and high, as high as you can. If there is a tomb in your life that you need the tomb raider to now call you out of and touch your body, touch your mind, touch your relationships, touch your soul, whatever it may be, lift your your hand high. I still got my eyes closed. I don't know who you are. So God, you see these people right now. You see them. And so God, we know that miracles are happening even now. Miracles are going to happen in the days ahead, in the months ahead, the years ahead. So God, you have caused us to overcome. You are calling us overcomers. So God, we sing this song to you. We praise you with this song. And oh God, Holy Spirit, I pray that during this song, you're doing some great works of healing, of people being unbound by what has been keeping them bound for all of these years. Receive this worship, Lord. And Listen, those who lift up your hands, receive the healing during this song. Receive it. Just say, God, I thank you for it. I thank you for it as you sing this song. Let's worship him.